funny. My mom told me that she came to you because she couldn't have kids and that you would help her. She said she had a donor. He goes, yeah, well, I didn't use that. I said, well, obviously you didn't use that. Why would you not use her donor? Well, we had a time frame during these things and I didn't know if this man she brought in would be viable, whether his firm was viable. So I disposed of it. I knew that we had to have something viable at the time. So I'm thinking to myself, so willy-nilly, you just used yourself, which he did. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an Ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 89. This is the last episode of season two. We have been downloaded over, I believe, 120,000 times. So there are definitely people out there with family secrets and people who are listening to this podcast. I'm going to take a month off. I'm going to take the month of July 2021 off, and I will be back in August 2021 with season three. I have about 30 people lined up over the next maybe six months or so to share their stories. And I'm so grateful people are sharing their stories. This podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for people contacting the show and being willing to go to that place and share their story. And usually people feel better after they've shared. They feel that it's cathartic. They feel that it's part of their healing. But I'm going to be honest, it's hard to talk about this stuff sometimes. It is a little nerve-wracking. You're sometimes a little fearful you're going to hurt a family member's feelings. It is, it's tough. It's tough. So I am so grateful, so, so grateful for everyone who has shared their story. While I am gone, I want to direct people to other resources. There are so many great support groups. There are other podcasts. There are online magazines that you can read. Let me just mention a few of these. If you yourself are an NPE, you can access these private groups. One of them is, let me just name these off. I mean, there's obviously the very, very large Facebook support group that you have to be a uh, someone who has experienced misattributed parentage to even get into that group. But I honestly get a little lost in it. So here are some smaller ones with memberships of around 500. This MPE Life. Togetherness Heals, NPE Only, After the Discovery, The Mindful NPE, Adoptees, NPEs, Donor Conceived, and Other Genetic Identity Seekers. I believe that's actually a Facebook support group owned by Severance Magazine. Um, High Wraith Hope and Healing, Public Coalition for Genetic Truth, MPE, Cross-Cultural Connections. And those are some online Facebook support groups that are very active. I see the same people every day being active. They're talking about their correspondence with family members. They're discussing what's going on. It's a really supportive group. And a lot of these groups are private. I hope it's okay that I mentioned some of them. I'm, I'm not entirely certain if I was allowed to do that, but I want to pass along resources. There's also severancemagazine.com. This is an online magazine for people that have experienced a DNA shock in their life. People write wonderful essays. There's Q&As. It's a great source of information. Also, there's other podcasts. And we podcast hosts are incredibly supportive of each other. We adore each other. Eve Sturgis and I have a special little thing going on. <laughs> Listen to her podcast. It's called Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. She actually just had on Laura, 
who was part of our season two, Laura's story. And she continued on Eve's podcast and they went in depth talking about shame and shame in the family about finding out these secrets and how it feels. And I really encourage people to listen to her podcast. She also had an amazing episode with Danny Shapiro a while back. Uh, Danny Shapiro has a podcast. And there's um, Sex Lies in the Truth and Cut Off Jeans. And feel free to check out these resources. They are for us. They are by us. It is people that get it. And for those of you that listen and you haven't yourself experienced a DNA surprise, but you are listening, you are a good person. You're an empathetic person trying to understand. And I just want to say thank you for listening. There's a Right to Know webinar I wrote down here, July 11th coming up. So that is something if you happen to be listening in real time, you might actually be able to catch that in time. Okay, that's a lot of resources. And we haven't had very many donor-conceived individuals on this podcast. So for this very last special episode of Season 2, We do have one today. She is going to share her story with us in just a minute, and it's an interesting one. And this is still happening in real time. It's not like this is a was. This isn't something in the past. This is still happening, and new discoveries are being made every day. And every day you open Ancestry or 23andMe, you just don't know what you're going to find. So, Miss Jamie, Jamie, are you there? I am. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Well, I am excited to be able to share my story and uh, how I found out uh, about being an MPE and um, how I've experienced it and what led up to it and my emotions that went along with it. Well, we're going to let you just kind of go. We're going to have you start from the beginning and... I will, if need be, help you along. But normally on this podcast, I just kind of let people share and um, all right, and take it from there. All right. <laughs> well, I'll start off with saying you know, I'm Jamie, and uh, I was born in 1959 in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, at the time, I was born uh, into a lovely family and in what I would consider to be a wonderful child childhood. Um, I was born in Detroit, but in Dearborn, uh, shortly thereafter moved to Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Uh, my mother, my father, and I had a sister who was born in 1956. So a couple years older than myself. Um, we lived in a beautiful home and I had a father that worked as an attorney and lived, went to the city, a mother who was a stay at home mom. And we also had my mother's mother, uh, my grandmother, who lived with us as well. And I could say ideal uh, childhood. I I was very privileged uh, spending my summers in Michigan, in the lower part of Michigan. My, uh, my, I'm sorry, my winters in lower Michigan, my summers in a beautiful cottage in northern Michigan. Um, And with a grandma and a grandpa and things which seem very normal to a child. Uh, In 1969, so when I was around 10, my parents in this idyllic life that I felt that I had kind of exploded. My parents announced that they were getting a divorce, uh, which was hard. It was hard and I didn't handle it, you know, real well at the time. I was around 10. I gained weight. I rebelled. And of course, I was sad feeling that I had done something wrong. I think my sister and I both had a hard time, as children do, during the divorce. we sold that beautiful cottage that we had, and my dad uh, started a, a new family, and things kind of went upside down at that time. Uh, that grandmother that lived with me passed away, and that was emotional for both my sister and I, and things became kind of unhinged. But during that time, I still felt I had the love of my dad and the love of my mom, and I, as kids do, I adjusted. and. Um, my dad remarried, and when he remarried, he uh, married a woman who already had a daughter, so I got a new stepsister and thought that was okay. 
Uh, again, still difficult with my sister and I not being with my dad and his new family. But my mom, uh, we, we still had what I would consider a fairly normal life. Um, my dad and his new wife also had a son. So I then had a half brother that entered in. And eventually, uh, my mother also remarried. And uh, when she remarried, I gained two new stepsisters uh, from my mother's side. So my dad married with a stepdaughter and a son. And then uh, dad ends up getting divorced a second time. <laughs> and uh, I know this sounds a bit confusing, but he married again. And I got two new stepsisters again. Uh, but as that moved on and the marriages, I seemed to adjust and, uh, with my mother's new husband as a stepfather. Um, and I, that didn't happen until I was a little older. So I got along well with all of my stepsisters and siblings and haves and haves and everybody got along. Uh, in 1977, I graduated high school. Um, and then that was in Bloomfield Hills. My mother, when she got married, married a man from Michigan. And we did move to northern Michigan uh, my senior year of high school, which is kind of a weird thing to do to somebody to uproot them from their home when they'd been in the same school since kindergarten all the way through your senior year of high school. And then the second semester of my senior year of high school, my mom marries a man from northern Michigan and moves me in my winter break to a new school. The lucky part about it and what made it more easy for me is, as I mentioned, I had summered in Northern Michigan. So I did have a chance to know some of the people that were in my high school. So it made it a bit easier for me than it would probably be. Though I finished my credits up in Northern Michigan, I did go back and walk and graduate and have my commencement ceremony with the same people that I went through kindergarten through high school. But then right after that, with my mother remarrying and all this, you know, disconnect with father and his wife and mom and new husband, I left home at 17, right after graduation. And I moved in with my high school boyfriend who was in college at the time and it made it easier for me to take college classes. And I moved to Mount Pleasant, Michigan and joined Central Michigan University and lived with him for four years. And uh, it was a good time for me. I worked. I worked hard, stayed in contact. Dad came to visit, visited mom. She bought a place in Florida. But, I, you know, as far as normalcy, it could be. Ended up meeting uh, another man um, in the summer of 82 and boyfriend went off to law school and I ended up staying in Northern Michigan and I got married uh, to my children's father in 1983. And in 83, I married in 84. I had a daughter in 86. I had a daughter uh, after he graduated from school. My husband, then we moved to New York. And in New York, I had a son in 1988. <laughs> and uh, I love New York. It was fun, but I missed Michigan in uh, 92. Uh, we moved back to Michigan. So um, after my son would have been, let's see, 83 years old, we moved back to Michigan. Uh, I ended up getting a divorce after shortly after being in Michigan. Now, this was a very insecure time in my life. You know, I think I was saying, wow, dad's been divorced. Mom's been divorced 10 years of marriage. And now here I am divorced with three kids and very insecure. And I'm going to say this part of the story because I think it's important that this insecurity that I had after my divorce uh, with three kids, not knowing what I was going to do, where I was going to go. The first man that came into my life was a man who instantly, you know, you're beautiful. Your kids are beautiful. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get you a house. This is, everything's going to work out. Well, I was like, well, this is easy for heaven's sakes. My gosh, he's wonderful. I love him. He loves my kids. Now 
many years later, looking back on this, when you get a divorce and you were as insecure as I was, what I think you should do is date that first man you meet, date him, you know, learn about him. I instantly was looking for security, not necessarily love. I thought it was love. I don't think it was love. I think it was security. Uh, It was only two years into this second marriage that I realized I don't think that I loved him. I think that I needed him. When you're needy and you meet somebody, I don't know that it's for all the right reasons. And that being said, we were only married two years and divorced. After that divorce, I was determined that I didn't need a man. I had three children. I needed myself. When you find yourself and you find your own strength is when you become the person that is ready to meet somebody. And what I mean by that is, I didn't feel I needed a man to complete me. I had already tried that and that security that I needed didn't give me the love that I wanted. So I concentrated on raising my children, getting a job on my own and trying to make myself self-sufficient. So when I met my present husband, it was shortly after the divorce, but I had no longer Look, I was no longer looking for security. So when I met him, I was like, well, aren't you a lucky man? Because <laughs> you met me. Now I'm a gift. I don't need you. But if I want you, it's because I want you. And that was what this was when I met my husband. And he was younger than I. So, of course, that threw up red flags for me. So I found every reason that I didn't need him. Uh, and that being said, that made me strong because I didn't, but he convinced me that he loved me. And then I realized that this wasn't security. I loved him back. I've now been married 23 years. So I can tell you that when you meet somebody and you're in that space, it's a better space to be. So moving on, that husband uh, that I married uh, back in 1998 and I with his son, he did have a son, and my three children, we moved to northern Michigan. And that was around 2002. And that being said, my dad now with his third wife and my two stepsisters, and then my uh, sister has married and had a divorce or two. But anyway, when I moved to Traverse City, which is where I am in northern Michigan, um, my mom called me one day in my new home and said, Hey, I want you to do me a favor. And I said, what's that mom? And she said, I want you to call an old friend of mine. Uh, His name is Jim Dean. And I would love it if you would call him because I'm just curious what he's doing in his life and where he is. And I heard he was sick and I'm, I'm, I I just want you to call him because I heard he was sick. And I'm like, mom, (laughs) call him yourself. Why, why do I need to call this old friend of yours? well, I just think you should call him. I'm too embarrassed. I'm like, mom, sorry, he's your friend. I'm not calling this man. Well, I really don't want Bill. That was her husband, my stepfather. I don't want him to find out. He might get upset that I'm calling. He was an old boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, mom, still, I'm not calling your old boyfriend for you. Well, please, please just find out if he's still alive. Find out how he's doing. Please, here's his phone number. And as weird as that was, and as much as I love my mother, I'm like, oh my gosh. So what do you want me to ask this guy? Well, ask him how he is, where he is, so I can find out. So I don't know this man from Adam, and I call him. Hi, I'm Jamie. Um, (laughs) I am Joyce's daughter, and, and do you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember your mom. And I'm like, well, she heard you were sick, and I don't know, I'm calling, well, how is she? He's asking a few questions. And I'm like, well, she's fine. She's living in Florida. She's married. And where do you live? And he starts questioning me. I'm like, well, you know, tell him where I live, Northern Michigan. Oh, you know, I used to live where you lived when you were born, he says. And then he says, and I used to live shortly thereafter. I moved up there to where you live in Traverse City. I live there too. Now, do you have children? Do you, did you go to school? And he starts asking me all these personal questions. And I was like, um, found it very unusual. And I was like, I, 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 you know what? (laughs) Don't care whether you know how many children I have, whether I'm married. I found it very unusual that he was questioning me. 
So I kept diverting back to my mother. Uh, He kept diverting back to me. Ended up being a very strange conversation. I called my mom back and I said, listen, the guy was kind of weird, mom. He's fine. He's, he's, he said he owns an island. He has a seaplane, you know, travels a lot, but wanted to know all about me, mom. He's kind of weird. I don't want to really discuss this with you anymore. And that was the end of the conversation. Uh, in 19, and, and this was in uh, 2008. Okay. Um, my mother's husband passed away and, uh, that was in 2008, 2006 was my call with that man, 2008. So two years later, my mother's husband dies. And at the time I was in Quebec, I was having my 10 year wedding anniversary. I get a phone call from my mother in Florida and she says her husband has died. So I catch an airplane from Uh, I couldn't get one out of Quebec, so my husband drove me to Montreal, where I flew to Florida to help my mother and my sister, and then my two stepsisters, his children, uh, arrange a burial and a funeral and so forth. Um, At the time, my mother and I were a bit estranged, and my sister, there had been some other things going on in the family, um, and I hadn't talked to my stepfather in a while, but when I got down there, of course, those things all get set aside during a death. And um, my two stepsisters were very helpful. Um, we all got together a very sad time. But right after, shortly after the funeral, we went back to my mother's home, the home she shared with my stepfather. And my stepsisters came back with me. One of my stepsisters, my mother's husband's daughters, asked me, to come into a room because she had something to tell me. And I said, okay. So I went into this room with her and she sat down and she said, my dad kept a secret for your mother and I don't need to keep my dad's secrets. So I'm just going to tell you. And I'm like, okay. Now, Remember, I had said I was kind of estranged from my sister. We were having some arguments over some property and so forth. She looks at me and she said, your sister, Lynn, the one that I grew up with, um, she is not your father's biological child and neither are you. And I'm looking at her and I'm kind of waiting. She said, your sister was a product of artificial insemination and you your mother had an affair with a man who used to be an old boyfriend of hers. And I kept my composure because that's kind of my style. And the way that she was saying it was kind of a little bit of a, so here, and I don't take to that well. So I just kind of looked at her and she said, so you're Barry, your father, the one that raised you, isn't your biological father. You know, your mom had an affair. And so I just kept straight face and I looked at her. I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And she looked puzzled. And I said, well, you know, my sister, Lynn, you know, the one that I grew up with, we've always been very different. She's blonde hair. I'm brown hair. She's brown eyes. I'm blue eyes. She's olive complected. I burn when you say the word son. I said, you know, well, I guess, huh. I think she was waiting for an emotional reaction that I didn't give back to her. Uh, so that being said, this information hitting me and she said, I even know the name of your father, this man that your mom had an affair with. I'm like, okay. And who is that? She goes, his name is Jim Dean. Well, as soon as she said that name, I remembered that call from a few years earlier, uh, that my mom had me call this man who had questioned me endlessly about myself, which was very unusual. So as soon as she said, he's your dad, it kind of clicked with me. I thought, is she just being, is this a true story? Is this her just being mean? What is this? But, you know, it hit a nerve that I didn't let her see. So I went to my sister and I said, so um, there's a story here, Lynn. So supposedly you were artificial insemination AI and mom had an affair for me. And she's like, what? I don't believe her. I'm like, well, I don't know if I believe her either. I said, but I will tell you a weird story. You know, Lynn, mommy had me call this guy a few years ago, Jim Dean, same name. So then I looked through my baby books and I saw first person to visit me at the hospital, this Jim Dean. 
um, with his real name, Jamie. Well, that's my name. Uh, Jim was short for Jamie. Well, then I saw first person to visit me, brought her a baseball mitt, this Jim Dean. And I thought, oh, gosh, maybe the story is true. And but so we started pushing my mom. So the first thing my mom said when I said, so stepsister just told us she doesn't need to keep a secret that you told Bill. Is this true, mom? Is it true? My mother, absolutely not. What a horrible thing for her to say. Oh, my. That's just horrible. Why would she make that lie up? Oh, that's so mean to do to you. So my sister and I are like, well, why would she do that? It is kind of mean, but it does kind of ring. There's something in it with this man and this Jim Dean. But then we're both thinking to ourselves, well, wait a minute. My dad remarried, and the story was that she went and had artificial insemination and had an affair because my dad couldn't have kids. Well, he has a kid. He, we have a stepbrother. Uh, with his second wife. So it didn't make sense to us. We kind of put it on the back burner. Uh, even though my mom gave us this, it's lie, it's a lie. Well, pushing my mom even further, we find out that my sister talks to my stepmom and finds out that this half brother of ours isn't actually a half brother, that my dad was unable to have children and he was artificial insemination. So my sister calls me and says, well, got some news. My, your stepmom, stepmom tells me, uh, brother is not our half-brother. Dad married her, couldn't have kids, so she had artificial insemination. Well, then we both are like, well, maybe this secret is true. So my sister then goes and we have confront my mother who says, okay, okay, well, I couldn't have children. I tried for so many years, but, but, but when I went to this doctor, he, he told me that he could help us. So he used your dad's sperm and okay, I did artificial insemination and your dad is your father, Lynn. And Jamie, I thought he's your father too. I'm like, but wait a minute. Uh, you said, you know, the secret is that this Jim Dean's my dad. She said, well, okay. All right. Well, Jim Dean gave us the greatest gift a man could give. Jim Dean gave us you. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean gave us? Did, did you go to this doctor? No, no, no. I, I, I didn't go to this doctor. I'm like, mom, did you have an affair with him? I'm like, it doesn't make sense. So Lynn is dad's and this doctor helped. And I'm just this gift? How? Did the doctor do it? No, no, no. He was just a gift. Well, I'm assuming mom had the affair, like the stepsister told me. But mom denied this affair over and over. So ends up, I, my mother, after all this denial, and she finally says, well, Jim Dean gave us to you and your, your sister is your dad's. Well, when my sister found out Barry couldn't be my dad's, she went and got a DNA test. My sister, Lynn. The test came back that our dad, our birth certificate dad, was not her father. That it was a doctor from the hospital where my mother had delivered my sister. So my sister calls me and says, well, you know what? I'm not um, dad's bio child. So I'm like, well, then I'm going to do a, a paternity test with dad because I want to know so unbeknownst to my dad, we got his DNA. I did a paternity test and it came back that my birth certificate father who had raised me was not my biological father, couldn't be a hundred percent. So then I was convinced that this Jim Dean who I had called and talked to was probably my father. So I, I befriended the family. I actually called them. I called the family. I said, so, you know, my mom told me this story and, and this Jim Dean, is he still alive? I called his phone number that I had called way back when, found out that he had passed away, uh, found out that he had two, some, two sons and a daughter. So I figured I had two half brothers and half sister. Uh, none of them wanted any contact with me, which was so hurtful. I'm like, here is this person who is you know, my bio father, I have half siblings and none of them want anything to do with me. I'm like, man, if I, I would be so excited to be their sibling and to find this out. And I was so excited. Well, it ends up, I found a cousin 
and this cousin was delightful. She said, the Dean family, you look like all of us. They invited me to family reunions. I, I really, really got attached to this family. Not the siblings of mine, or nor the fa my bio father, as I thought at the time. I'm going to remind you of this thought at the time. Um, because I knew that paternity didn't show my dad, so he had to be my bio dad, because that's the secret. That's the story. I'm this kid. So after going to family reunions and loving this family for a while, that was 2016. In 2018, finding out that he wasn't bio dad, my bio dad confirmed it more. But in 2019, I wanted, because these siblings wouldn't have anything to do with me, I wanted to do my own DNA tests so I could show them, hey, look, I'm part of the family. So in 2019, I buy an over-the-counter Ancestry.com test. Send away for it. And it comes back to my house where I'm living in northern Michigan with my husband. My kids are now, you know, no longer at home. The test comes, I open it up. We're sitting in the living room and I'm waiting to see all these Dean relatives, you know. And I thought at the time I was 100% Scottish. My mother was a McLeod and she was Scottish. And she said that this Jim Dean when we finally pried it out of her that he was a gift, you know, I was a gift from him. He would have loved you. He was Scottish. So I'm waiting, open it up and I look at it and it says that I'm 50% Scottish and 50% Ashkenazi Jew. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at it. I'm reading it. My husband's watching my face and I put the paper down. I look at him and I said, well, what do you know? And he says, what? I said, well, I'm 50% Ashkenazi Jew. And he starts laughing. He goes, aha, funny. And I said, no, it says I'm 50% Jewish. And he's like, what? And I'm reading the names and I'm looking for Dean and I'm looking for all these. And I see I've got my half sister, Lynn, who I grew up with. She's a half. So I'm like, well, Lynn's dad is not my dad and my dad's not my dad, but I don't see any Deans on here. And I'm looking at it. I said, I see two other half brothers on here. I see Lynn is a half sister, but I see another half sister. And I'm like, what the heck? I see my sister's daughter is a half niece on here. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, who are these people? What is going on? And I'm like, they're not Deans, but none of their last names even match. So it's making no sense until I see one of them is initials. And it would be, it looked to me to be a half nephew, but it's managed. Um, now you can't necessarily see all names on Ancestry if they block them. And so I was looking for any Dean, anything I could recognize and I saw none until this one was a minor and it said managed by I am Peven, this last name. And I only find it because I was sending letters to these people because <laughs> you can do that in Ancestry. I'm like, you show up as a half niece. You show up as a cousin. Who are you people? And I'm questioning it. But I'm also a very detailed. I can. I'm a sleuth in a bit of a way because I am going to open up every Facebook page. I'm going to trace every name. That's how I do things. And when I saw this minor managed by I am Peven, the name Peven hit me as I'm, this is like within three minutes of looking at my ancestry results. I looked up at my husband and I said, half Ashkenazi Jew. One of these is Peven. I know that name. And I looked at my husband. I said, Oh my God, I know who my biological father is. And he's still staring at me with his mouth open. I said, my mom's doctor, my mom's OBGYN, his name was Peven, Dr. Peven. I remember it. I said, Ugh. these people are all related to my mom's doctor. I said, and he's, it's, I'm Ashka, I'm Jewish. He was 100% Jew. I said, and the name matches. And so did the, the, but none of these other names do, but that one, at least I recognize, but I'm not related. I, I, I'm, it's managed. I said, and my sister, one of the doctors from the hospital was her dad. And now I'm remembering back of a phone call that I made. 
Shortly after my sister told me, my mom told my sister that she used this doctor to help her, but he used my dad's sperm to help my sister deal with it because she was like, wow, uh, this is hard. I said, let me be my sleuthy self. I called my mom's doctor. I called that Peven back. I called him back in 2016 and said, hey, you know, uh, my sister, my mom's telling us this story. I know who my bio dad is, but my sister supposedly was, you were her, the doctor that helped my mom get pregnant. He goes, yup, yup. I, now this man is 94 years old. He's no longer in practice. And I call him out of the blue on a number that's public. <laughs> and I say, my parents are from Detroit. Uh, my sister, supposedly you did artificial insemination back then. He goes, I did. He said, uh, you know, I did many, many artificial. And I'm like, well, my mom is from Detroit. I told him, you know, what she looked like. And he goes, oh, I remember your mom. Now, this is a 94-year-old doctor. I called her my Barbie, and your dad was my Ken, and she was an artist. And then he went into detail, detail about my mom and my dad. And that back in 1956, when my sister was born, he goes, yes. When I had a patient come in and the father had what we would call slow swimmers or non-viable, we oftentimes would mix sperm in with the artificial insemination back in the early to mid fifties. And he's telling me this story. My mouth is like falling open. Like you just mixed, who'd you mix? Well, I would always try to find a doctor from the hospital that would look like the parent, you know, like the dad, you know, somebody with a strong jaw. I would usually use, you know, never anybody, but the interns, the residents or, you know, my partners or other doctors. Well, this rang true because my sister said, you know, one of the doctors at the hospital was her dad. So I talked to this doctor way back then for my sister. Said, well, we did mix your dad's sperm in, you know, because we were trying to figure out, is she dad's? Who was she? Well, she found out that she was that other doctor and then I let it go. So here I am now, you know, 19, uh, 2019, looking at my ancestry and seeing that I'm half Ashkenazi Jew, remembering back to that conversation, thinking, well, he told, my mom said I was this Dean guy's friends with their family. Now, how, what's going on here? And I'm questioning it all, but knowing dang well that this Peven has to be my bio dad, this doctor that I talked to. So now I'm like, okay, I've got to do some more research here. I'm like, this call my sister. I'm like, well, got some news for you. I said, you know how, you know, Peven used dad and you mixed. Well, <laughs> he didn't use this, this Dean donor or this mom didn't have an affair. Mom told me that he gave her the greatest gift. I said, mom had to have used Dean as a donor, but it doesn't make sense because I just got my DNA and Dr. Peven is my doctor. OB didn't use the donor. So now I'm like, okay, I look on here and I see a match. And the name on there is, is a half-nephew. I've got half-brothers. So I find this half-brother doing my internet research, and I call him <laughs> out of the blue. Hi, my name is Jamie. And he's like, hi, you know, gives me his name. And I said, I am, um, show up as a half-sister. I said, I think we're related. He goes, well, welcome to the family. And I'm like, okay. I said, and you know, his last name didn't match mine. And I'm like, well, I'm assuming then that you know that Dr. Peven is your father. And was he your mom's OB? He goes, yep. And I said, okay. So you know about this? He goes, well, he said, yeah. He goes, I know that Peven is the last name that matches on the DNA there to uh, some relatives, but Peven had a brother who was a doctor too. And I'm like, okay, so we don't know which Peven we are. We're either Lewis or we're Philip. Philip was the doctor. So I said, well, okay. He goes, well, gosh, darn it. And I said, I see I have another half brother on here. He goes, yes, you do. 
Uh, and he said, you can call him. Today's his birthday. He'd be so excited to get a half sister on his birthday. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And this is all happening really quick after, you know, the day after I get my uh, ancestry back. So I speak to this new brother, another brother who says, you know, we realize um, that Peven was also his mother's doctor. But now his mother doesn't know that he's done an ancestry. So now, you know, you have to be really careful because you're getting into some sensitive situations. When you find out you're an MPE, and I think that in the beginning of this, we talked about the sensitivity of this. With me, I'm all excited. I'm running, you know, Mach 10, uh, trying to find this all out because I had had this secret told to me. I was you know, I, I was all prepared for interesting things to happen, but not everybody is when you get your ancestry back. Uh, you know, I didn't expect to be half Jewish. I didn't expect my doctor's, my mom's doctor, but I did expect it to be a little different. Well, in talking to these two new half brothers, much more of a shock for them, a little bit more difficult, more complicated with the family and his sister not wanting anything to do with me. And I realized, okay, step back here. Step back because we're not sure who the bio father is now. Um, but I was determined, no, I'm going to find out which who it is. So I'm going through and up comes a DNA with a younger Peven. This Peven shows up on Ancestry and I find out this Peven is a half-nephew of mine. So I do the research, looking up his name, go to Facebook, find out who his father is. His father is Philip Peven, my mom's doctor's son. And now I've got a half-nephew. So when it comes to misattributed parentage and finding these things out, there's no anonymity anymore when it comes to DNA. You don't have to have a bio father do a DNA test nor even a half-sibling to do a DNA test. When this half-nephew of mine did it, I could trace back who his father was and then who his father was, which gave me a half-brother, and it gave me a bio-father, which was the doctor. So in finding this out, I then look on there, I see another half-nephew. And this half-nephew, I send a letter to off. And I said, hi, I'm Jamie. I would be your half aunt. And I quickly get an instant message back. Well, you can't be my half aunt. That's impossible. I don't understand this DNA. And we start talking and I said, well, I am your half aunt because DNA doesn't lie. You're a doctor. I found out he was a doctor. <laughs> and he goes, well, I know my mom's parents. I know my dad's parents. And we know that they're both, they're bio parents. And I said, well, I'm sorry to tell you this. And we're doing this through instant messaging, but either your mother or your father are my half sibling. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, let me just ask you this. Did Dr. Philip Peven deliver your mother or your father? And he goes, well, now my mother and father from Oak Park, which is a suburb of Detroit. Dr. Peven was an OB there and he delivered like 95% of Oak Park and 95% of Oak Park are Ashkenazi Jew. I find out that this half nephew is 100% Ashkenazi Jew. And he goes, both of my parents are. I'm like, well, if one of your parents was delivered by Dr. Peven, I'm going to tell you that they're my half sibling. And he was like, well, I'm going to do my research. I'm calling your mom. I'm calling my mom. I'm calling my mom and dad right now. I said, slow down, slow down, slow down. I said, be careful. You're just going to go right now out of the blue to your parents. Neither one of them know this story. They both think they know their bio parents. You know, you're all excited because you just find this out because you decided to do a DNA test. People need to be very sensitive when you do a DNA test because I'm thinking, Wow, call your parents who know nothing about this. You know, when you do a DNA test, you involve siblings, you involve parents, you involve grandparents, and maybe other families. So I'm trying to talk him down in his excitement. He 
calls me back or texts me back later. Okay, so found something out. Dr. Peven, Philip Peven delivered both my mother and my father. And I'm like, oh dear. Hmm. Okay, my right, my brain's going, okay, so now I have uh, I could have a half brother, I could have a half sister. He delivered God, all these people from Oak Park. I'm like, my God, what if this young man's parents married them? They could be siblings, I'm thinking to myself. Yeah. But I'm like, no, you know, that doesn't mean just because he also delivered 9,000 babies. Mm. You know, I'm thinking, but if he, you know, it, but that doesn't mean they're related. So he does approach his parents. Uh, I know I'm going on here. I, I end up getting contacted by his mom, my half sister. After a very hard beginning for her, she had just lost her biological father, which was extremely difficult. And I have to be very careful here. These are all things that I'm trying to be tender and, and, and sensitive to because I, again, had thought a dean was a parent, had found out dad, well, all this stuff is coming at me. But I had a bit of preparation, a few years in between, to realize my bio dad wasn't mine. Here she just lost her father. Her son is coming to her going, hey, I did a DNA test. I found out you have a half-sister. She doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't want anything to do with me at first, and I don't blame her. But then I get a phone call. No, I get a, I get a text from the nephew and said, my mom would like to call you. Are you okay with that? And I was like, of course I'm okay with that. And this very sweet, very loving new half-sister of mine, who I have since become very close with and love her dearly, calls me and says, okay, I think I may be your half-sister. Um, I think, I, I'm pretty sure. My my husband was also delivered by Peven, but um, he was not the same OB. My mom didn't use Peven as the OB. She only, he delivered my husband, but my mom used Peven as an OB, but my mom has long passed away as had my mom. And the story is her mom had gone to Dr. Peven like my mom did because they were having trouble getting pregnant. Her mother, my half sister, mother was told if you have a procedure done by me, Dr. Philip Peven, it's called a DNC. It can help you conceive. It can help make your body more hospitable for the implantation of a baby. Come in for this procedure. I will perform it. Then go home and you and your husband should be able to conceive more easily. Her mother did go in for this procedure. Her mother did get pregnant shortly thereafter. Her mother did give birth to my half-sister. Now think about that. That procedure that she went in for to help her get pregnant with her husband, who she thought she got pregnant with, well, that procedure was definitely not a DNC because that baby is my half-sister. My own mother had said to me that she went to this doctor as well, and she had a gift that was given to her by Jim Dean. I'm thinking that gift had to be sperm because he said he mixed sperm. And I'm thinking, but I'm not Jim Dean's kid. I'm actually Peven's kid. Half-sister and I made a decision. Let's go find this doctor. Let's find him. Now he's 104 years old and he's still alive, believe it or not. He's publicly living on his own. We both know he's our bio father. We both know that he was our mother's doctor. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Let's ask him. You know, she's like, yeah, you know, I'd like to know if he remembers my mom. I said, yeah, I'd like to know. I mean, supposedly he remembered my mom years ago when I talked to him about my sister and he said he used a doctor uh, and that doctor wasn't my, my bio dad, you know, so now he's my bio dad. So we unannounced in December of 2019. This half-sister and I, accompanied by our husbands, drive to a suburb of Detroit, unannounced, show up at his apartment, <laughs> knock, knock on the door. Now, mind you, 104-year-old doctor, retired, living on his own. 
I bring a picture of my mom and my dad. She brings a picture of her mom and dad. We knock on the door. Hello. He says, he said, hi, hi, how are you? And he's like, can I help you ladies? Now I'm not going to say, Hey, where were your kids? Where are your bio kids? We want to know more about what's going on. We decided, no, I'm going to do this differently. I said, hi. I said, um, this, I'm Jamie. This is my sister. You know, we knew, um, you knew our parents. And he goes, oh, I did. I said, yes, you knew our mother. And she goes, you knew my mother. And he goes, oh, okay. Uh, I said, yeah, you were, you were our mother's doctor. And he goes, oh, he's still holding the door half closed. We're in the hallway. And uh, he said, so we knew that you knew our moms and just wanted to brought some pictures with us and wanted to meet you and talk with you. Um, you delivered us. And he's like, oh, well, I delivered over 9,000 babies. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to remember you girls or your parents, but uh, come on in. So he invites us in. Now we're in the living room and uh, my sister shows him a picture of her mother tells him her name and says, this is my mom. Do you remember? He looks at the picture and he says, well, no, you know, not really. Well, you delivered us and we came to thank you. We came to thank you for delivering us. I'm going into this nicely because I want to be able to get the full story. And he said, well, I'm glad I delivered you. And I showed him a picture of my mom and I said, you delivered me as well. So thank you. I said, you also delivered my sister. And I spoke with you some years ago about that. And you said that you used um, artificial insemination. Uh, and my sister uh, was a was the product of a doctor that was at the hospital. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, well, back then, now you're talking about the 50s. We did use some donors there in the 50s, other doctors at the hospital. Um, uh, so, you know, but I didn't, don't, don't know who's who was the dad. And so we now have the pictures and I'm showing him and now we're sitting across the room from him and he's a hundred, you know, he's, he's old, he's 104 and he couldn't hear us well. So if you could picture this room, a small apartment, this old man sitting in a chair, my sister and I sitting on a couch across a coffee table and he couldn't hear us and we're holding our pictures. So we both get up, both the sister and I, and we move over to him. And we sit on the floor at his knee. He's got his feet on the floor. He's in his chair. You've got me at 60 years old sitting on one side of him and my sister close to the same age on the other side of him on the floor. So he could hear us closer holding pictures of our parents. And my sister says to him, you know, we, we not only came, I not only came to thank you for delivering me because we're trying to do, I'm thanking you for helping my mom by getting her pregnant and being my biological father. First time it said, and he's quiet, his face. And I said, I also would like to thank you because you are also my biological father. And he's looking perplexed and we're both sitting there and he says, well, what do you mean? And my sister said, well, we've done DNA testing and you've come back as our biological father. You delivered us, but you are also our father. And he is says, well, well. And I said, you know, DNA can do that now. Well, I've never taken a DNA test. I said, you didn't need to because your grandson did. And I, I said, you know, DNA. And I'm showing him my ancestry. I've got it up now on my iPhone. I'm showing her him my ancestry. I'm showing him that I'm 50% Ashkenazi Jew. I'm showing him that his grandson is my half nephew and he's looking at all this and he says, well, I'll be, he goes, isn't this just amazing? And I said, yeah, he said, pretty amazing. I said, but you know, it's funny. My mom told me that she came to you because she couldn't have kids and that you would help her. She said she had a donor. Uh, his name was Jim Dean and she brought that in with her or him in with her. I didn't know exactly how that worked. I wasn't there. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess. I, yeah. Well, I didn't use that. I said, well, obviously you didn't use that. Why would you not use your donor? Well, we had a time frame during these things and I didn't know if this man she brought in would be viable, whether his sperm was viable. 
So I disposed of it. I knew that we had to have something viable at the time. So I'm thinking to myself, so willy-nilly, you just used yourself, which he did because he's my bio dad. And I'm like, well, he goes, well, then he got all technical. And he said, you know, we had to have a, a speculum and we used a, a pipette and a pipette. And he's getting very scientific now. And he's explaining that back then you had to know viability and, and, and cycles and He's, I'm realizing that he's not even thinking of us as being biological children sitting there with him. He's talking about helping these women and that we were on the cutting edge. And, you know, when somebody was having so much trouble, you know, pipettes and biologic and times. And I did see this side to him. He wasn't, I, I was looking for some maniacal side, maybe a doctor going, yeah, I wanted to father all these babies. So I just use myself. But I really didn't see that. I saw, and so did my sister, a man talking about helping women. He actually looked at us and said, well, you all had fathers. And, mm -hmm. and in that being said, I don't think he thought of himself as a dad as much as a scientist. And he said, you know, I, I had many, you know, I started donating sperm in med school back in 40s, in the 40s. Uh, back then we got paid $50 for each sperm that we would donate $50. And back then he goes, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So started to donate in the fifties. He's or in the forties. He said then in the fifties, you know, during med school, you know, and then he said, when I started my own practice in the fifties, I started using donor sperm. I'm thinking, my God, that means that this man started donating sperm in the 50s, now I looked back at my DNA and that, that half brother that I spoke to on the phone, he was born in the 80s. And he goes, I donated sperm in med school. I donated sperm. And I'm thinking, my God, if you used your own sperm in your own practice from the 50s all the way through the 80s, I could have hundreds, hundreds of siblings. And he laughed and I said, he goes, yeah, my daughter said, dad, you've been donating since school. You could have Hundreds. Of, I said, so your kids know? He goes, well, I talked to my daughter about it. Yes. And, you know, I, I guess I could have many. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wow. wow. But that being said, again, with my half sister and I speaking about it, and we, you know, he was, he was not in the best of health and we didn't push. But I said, how do you feel about this, about us and about how this, that we're finding you now through DNA? And he said, I feel like it's a fairy tale. And that, when he said a fairy tale, and he said, but I feel very blessed that you're here. I mean, he didn't come off as maniacal to me, and he didn't come off as evil. And I know, and I'm going to say this because I know there's a lot of sensitivity involved with doctors. And, you know, some people call it medical rape. You know, our parents didn't know. My mom didn't know that that man who gave her that gift, he thought, of donating sperm, she thought that was my bio father. Finding out that Dr. Peven, her own doctor, was my bio dad probably would turn my mother in her grave. Would it make me less loved? No, she wouldn't love me any less. You know, I, I look at this as I'm here. I don't mean that as, as not being sensitive to those people that feel that you lose identity. I don't feel that my identity is based on my DNA. Yes, it does determine your ancestor, you know, that I'm half Ashkenazi but I don't think it made me who I am. And I'm going to say that because I'm a strong woman. As mm -hmm. I told you, I, I, I found myself back. Yes, I had insecurities. I had marriages, but I raised my children. I've had my life. And in that life, I've discovered that I am who I am because I've made that person. My mom used to say, if it is to be, it is up to me. And this DNA discovery of mine and finding out this doctor was my dad did not make me any less who I am, less strong, less anything. Mm -hmm. That being said, after this discovery and the sister and I medium, we did leave and I contacted my half brother who is his son through marriage. And I explained this story to him. I said, you know, I met with your father, you know, you are my bio brother. Uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about this. And uh, he was like, what do you want to know? I mean, he was not, he wasn't angry. He wasn't mean. 
He wasn't, I don't want to meet you. He gave me information like, you know, where his father went to school. He's the, you know, last living and the oldest living graduate of University of Michigan's medical school. And he still goes to all the alumni and still involved. And he gave me his schooling. He even sent me pictures of him. He was willing to give me stuff and he was willing to buy the story. But he kept saying, well, I don't think that, you know, my dad's never done a DNA test. And I explained to him the same thing. You don't need to do that. There is no more anonymity. Mm -hmm. And his, he gave me enough information that I felt, okay, he's being kind. But then I was like, wait a minute, this is my biological father. I need more than just he's lived to 104. You've got longevity going for you. I want to know, did he have cancer? Did his parents have cancer? I've got a family I know nothing about. I have a bio father I know nothing about. When I thought the dean, that Jim Dean was my dad, that family provided me with all the health information. Now I've got a dad that I know is a bio dad, a doctor, no less. And his son's like, well, you've got longevity. Though he was kind, he wasn't forthright. He didn't give me what I wanted. And so this right to know, this thing, this is why I got involved with right to know. Not because I'm angry, not because, you know, finding out, you know, that I was a misattributed parentage was life-changing, but that I felt I had a right, a right. We all have a right to know our history. Now, not DNA will give you your history of where you came from, maybe your origin, but I wanted to know who is my grandma, you know, who did she have cancer? Did she have children? I came to find out through a cousin, again, who I saw on this ancestry, he had two sisters that died of cancer very, very young younger mm. than me. And I have two daughters and they had mm. breast cancer. And my mother's did. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I want history. I want health. I want to know how much cancer is there. So calling that brother, I'm like, no, there, this isn't right. You know, I need this. So that's why I got involved with right to know, not be, because I think we all have to have a right. And, and, and if these doctors or people feel, if you're out there in the business of making babies, making human beings. When you make a human being, you better have some sort of laws in place and there just aren't. And that's why I'm involved because, you know, you've got a donor out there donating sperm to one clinic and this clinic is using it on 30 women. Don't we need to know who that dad is? Because siblings could marry siblings like I thought may have happened in my case. So, this right to know and these laws are now only becoming important because of a new industry. And it's the over-the-counter DNA testing. We're starting to say, yes, there is no anonymity. You are the father. You are this. These laws need to be in place so we can find out our health histories. Um, that's why I'm involved with right to know. But as far as the emotions, and I want to go back to the beginning of this podcast and say, I'm sensitive to those of you that are finding out. I'm sensitive to those of you that may want to find siblings that may or may not want to have anything to do with you. I'm sensitive to the new siblings that I have just recently had added on to my story that I have to tell this doctor's story to, who I find out, you know, they use the same OB. Uh, there was a movie out called... Um, just recently an HBO documentary called baby doctor um, with a similar story to my own where the doctor used his own sperm. Uh, I found out that there's other doctors in Detroit who used donor sperm on their patients. Uh, one member that I've met of this group was not my doctor's child, but the doctor that they used, she has 56 half siblings that she's discovered. No. These are shocking things to learn. Uh, laws need to be in place to help these people, to help people like myself so that I have the right to my story. I myself feel that I think that my way of dealing with it is it's an interesting story. I've shared it now with you. Um, you know, the emotions involving me came a little slower. For those of you that are listening that have just recently found out, I want to say, Take a breath. 
take a breath and realize you are who you are regardless of your DNA. Some people say these doctors did medical rape, you know, or that I wasn't a product of love. All of these things, you're a product of the fact that you're born. You're a human. You can feel good in who you are, not the DNA that made you. This is my own opinion. And I'm glad you listened to my story. I'm glad that I could share it with you. I certainly hope that I help people to realize that this journey can be ups, downs, and all arounds, but we make it and be strong and realize that from this point on, any siblings that want to be in my life, man, I have open arms. Any that don't, I understand. It can be difficult. There's secrets. Maybe your parents didn't tell you you were a donor. Maybe they felt that they didn't want you to know because back then it was a, you know, a, a scary thing for them. Whatever their story, whatever it is, remember, if it is to be, it's up to me. Thank you for listening. Mm. Thank you, Jamie, so much for sharing. I know that donor conception, assisted reproductive technologies has come, um, I mean, in over the decades since you were conceived so much more has happened, but there still is not a lot of regulation in place in some of the countries. No, there is not. In the 50s, people could say, yeah, it was the Wild West, but things yeah. have changed. And there does there has to be some new laws in place and with donors and how much they can donate, mm-hmm. where they can donate, and giving some history on their health so that whether it's somebody that is adopted or whether it's somebody that has a donor, they should still have a right you have the right. Yeah. And your, you know, in your in your birth father's case, I'd I'd sit on the phone call to you a couple of weeks ago. I'd use the term fraudulent. And um I realize now after listening to you that you explain how you, you know, your your biological father was very scientific in his approach to being an OBGYN, but this is Obviously, nowadays, they realize how entirely unethical it is to use your own sperm instead of somebody's donor picked for conceiving a a child. Absolutely. And in my case, the mother's not knowing. He's just feeling he's giving them what they want. You know, they want children and I can do it. Well, true. But there's ethical issues Mm -hmm. here. I mean, extreme Mm -hmm. ethical issues. And you know, just, just wrong in so many ways. Doesn't make me less happy to be here, but it needs to be controlled. Yes. If people want to get in touch with Jamie, I believe at this point, just because of the, um, the anonymity aspect, feel free to email the show at npestories at gmail.com. I will forward any comments or, or, or whatever you'd like to share along to Jamie personally. And at this point, we will wrap up. We're going to be taking a month off, and uh, we will be back in August 2021 with more episodes and more stories. Thank you so much. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.